Thank you, Bonnie. And thank you, Abe. And thank you, all of you. Can you hear me? Good. Good. Um, Bonnie mentioned writing checks, and I thought that was funny. Because you know what they are? I, I think I've written one. I think I've written exactly one check in my life. Uh, it was because I, I had to um, when purchasing a car. Uh, you, you have to use a check for that. You can't use most other forms of money. Uh, and, and so that was what I did. Uh, and it was a strange experience because I, I had never done that before. Wow. Never written a check before that point in my life. And that was just a few years ago. So <laughs> I went like almost 30 years without ever writing a check. That's true. I've seen checks. I just, I just have never written one, except for that one time. Um, thanks also, Bonnie, for, for sharing about uh, the discussion questions and that reminder. That's, that's helpful. Um, we're, we're wrapping up this uh, sanctuary mental health course that we've been working through. Uh, and there are, there are some guidelines they use as well about, uh, what is it, Colin? Sharing the air? Is that one of the ones? Yeah. Sharing the air, helping, trying to uh, leave space for other people to be involved to the degree that they are able to or comfortable with in the conversation, things like that. Um, yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, Choose to wonder. Uh, don't don't just respond in correction immediately when someone says something, but uh, dig a little deeper. Ask, ask, try to understand. Uh, yeah, it's just good principles. Good principles for for discussion, for for relating to one another as we're thinking through these things. Um, yeah. Uh, the discussion questions actually there's there should be a sheet of paper on each of the tables. It's got the passage on it. It's got the discussion questions on it. So uh, if, you, if you want to read those before we really get going and, and sort of be having those in mind as, as we're working our way through this, that's fine. You can do that. Um, if that's going to be distracting for you, then maybe don't. But I'll trust you guys to sort that out for yourselves. Um, we are going to be continuing in Micah. We're going to be in chapter 4 this week, carrying on from chapter 3. Chapter 3 ended uh, with, with Zion and Jerusalem and the temple being sort of addressed together uh, and the pronouncement of coming doom with the, the destruction of each of these. Uh, that's how Micah wrapped up chapter 3. Uh, and then now we get to pick up with this promise of restoration. And I've been looking forward to this because the two chapters I've gotten to preach on so far in this series have been pretty heavy, uh, pretty heavy chapters. Uh, and this one brings in hope and points towards something really good. And so it's, uh, it's nice for me to be able to speak on that. So we're going to start with Micah chapter 4, starting in verse 1, uh, right through to the end of the chapter. It's not actually that long. Uh, it's structured sort of poetically, so... Uh, it looks longer on the page than it actually is. Here we go. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. 
It will be exalted above the hills, and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. If that sounds familiar, uh, we went through some passages from Isaiah during Advent. And Isaiah has an almost identical passage to that in chapter 2. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will address the exiles and those who I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your ruler perished? That pain seizes you like that of a woman in labor? Writhe in agony, daughter Zion, like a woman in labor, for you must now leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. That he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze and you will break to pieces, many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. During Hezekiah's reign, the third king that uh, Micah prophesied under, during Hezekiah's reign, Judah was attacked by Assyria. Uh, and when the commander of Assyria's armies came to Jerusalem to per persuade Hezekiah to surrender, or failing that, to convince uh, the people to depose him, this is what he said. This is coming from 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 31 and 32. It's a small snippet of the, of the speech, but that's where it comes from. The commander says, Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death 
Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says, The Lord will deliver us. Did you see the parallel there between, between that speech and Micah's address in the beginning of chapter 4? Micah takes this and it almost looks like he's responding to it. He says, yes, a day like that is coming when each person will sit under their own vine and fig tree. And when no one will make them afraid, looking at you, Assyria. But it is the Lord who will make it so. And when he does, there will be no need for war anymore. And the nations, instead of coming to us to conquer us, will come to learn the ways of the Lord. They'll even melt down their weapons and make them into farm equipment. All the nations walk in the name of their gods for now, but we will walk in the name of the Lord forever. He takes this threat and completely subverts it. He goes on. That time is not yet. That day will come, but it's not here. And Micah steps back into this exile imagery, uh, still talking about things that are, that are to come, but moving backwards in time a little bit, uh, closer to this present day. He's been dealing with the last days, the days far off. Now he moves a bit back, closer to his own time. He says, why are you crying, Jerusalem? Is your king dead? Is that why you sound like a woman in labor? That's a bit of a strange comment about the king being dead. Uh, because the, the king probably isn't dead. Um, not the current king, at least. Uh, previous kings, lots of them are dead. And this current king would be dead at some point. Micah uses a, a beautiful twist of irony there. That when Israel demanded a king, God consoled Samuel by telling him, don't worry, it's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting me as their king. Part of the trouble with earthly kings, and also part of the draw, is that they're mortal. They are mortal. They die. If you have a bad king, that can be a very necessary relief. But God does not die. And Micah is casting the shadow of what is to come when he says this. Because one day, another king will come. When the kingdom, which hasn't been broken yet, the kingdom of Judah, when it's restored... Before it's even broken, he's, he's saying it's going to be restored. When the risen king, Jesus, comes in glory. He's casting that shadow. He's not directly saying that's going to happen, but you can see the shape of it. And Micah continues on, pointing to the coming exile, before the restoration of the kingdom is needed. He, he affirms the discomfort that Jerusalem is, feeling, Jerusalem is feeling. He says, yes, you'll have to leave your city. You'll be taken to Babylon. But there, God will redeem you. There, you will be rescued. 
And even in the face of exile, Micah proclaims that God is working and that he will bring good out of it. But now, but right now, now there are enemies at the gates and we must trust in the Lord to save us. They don't understand his plan. If you read 2 Kings 18, where, where that uh, speech comes in that we talked about earlier, uh, you'll see that Assyria claims to have been sent by God to destroy Judah. They claim that. They claim that there. Micah says they've been gathering for nothing more than threshing. They're not here to conquer us. They're here so that God can show his protection for us. He says, rise and thresh. And in the face of an overwhelmingly mighty army, he says, God will give you horns of iron and hooves of bronze and you will break them in pieces like a strong ox when threshing grain. And he commands them to devote what they capture to the Lord because it is the Lord who will provide the victory. It's God saying, trust me. Trust me. I am working good things. And that day will come, that far off day, that good day of restoration, that day will come. Trust me. First, I will bring you to grief. But it'll be okay. Trust me. First, I will bring you into exile. Trust me. That's where I will save you. In exile, through exile, I will save you. Trust me. There's enemies at your gates right now. Trust me. I will make you able to deal with it. I will bring you to the worst days of your life. And I will bring you through those days. Trust me. It's really significant, I think, that God says, I will bring them to grief. Those that I have brought to grief. He brings it. He brings us through it, too. If he brings it, there's a reason for it. There's a purpose being worked there. This picture that Assyria gives Judah, that, that Micah takes and subverts towards God, is a good picture. Everyone with their own vine and fig tree. It sounds nice. I'll take a vine and a fig tree. I like figs. They're tasty. And it kind of sounds like that probably comes with a house too, or at least a condo or something. Not sure how I'm ever going to come into possession of one of those otherwise, so sounds pretty good. Matthew Henry, 
says, and, and this is, is put really well, he says, good things, when idolized, are better parted with than kept. Good things, when idolized, are better parted with than kept. Matthew Henry. Even with these high places that Micah is, is so concerned about in this book, those weren't always bad, bad things, bad places. Before the temple was constructed, those were the places Israel went to worship. The prophets used those places then. They were good. They became overrun with idolatry, which pulled people away from their proper place of worship at the temple, where the presence of God was strongest and most tangible, where people risked and dared to come close to God, to live in his proximity. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous to do. It's still dangerous to do. God rarely asks us to do things that are safe or easy. He often asks us to do things that are difficult or uncomfortable. As any missionary could tell you. And what are we but missionaries? We live in one of the most post-Christian countries in the world. The west coast of Canada is... Oof. Do you know there are missionaries that come here? We have missionaries move here in order to evangelize. We are living in a missionary context. God asks us to trust him and to obey him. Trust and obey. There is no other way. Bonnie was humming that song earlier today, or singing it. And I was like, huh, that's funny. Planning on mentioning that. We get to see quite a lot of the picture, the, the overall picture of where history is going. Uh, more than they did in Micah's day. We have the New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. The guarantee of this day that Micah describes, we, we have that. We have that. Micah saw it in the distance, but we have the guarantee. His faith is astounding. It puts me to shame. We have so much. I, I have so much. And yet I still have trouble trusting God with things at times. It is so easy for me to hold on to my swords and my spears, to prepare to defend myself, to have my guard up. But Christ is risen. His kingdom is at hand. Better to put those things away, to start turning my swords into plowshares and my spears into pruning hooks, to trust God to take care of me. I'm not actually that good at it anyway, so. The juxtaposition in this passage of the man-made swords and spears 
prepared ahead of time for the purpose of battling with other people. And the horns and the hooves that God supplies almost as a surprise at the time of Judah's need is stark. It's quite a contrast. How willing are we to allow space for God to be the one to defend us rather than us preparing and being ready to defend ourselves, uh, to take care of ourselves, to free ourselves? I'm convinced Matthew Henry got it right. Good things, when idolized, are better parted with than kept. Yeah, it works for so many things. Try inserting a good thing in there and see, see if that works. Al- alcohol is not a controversial one. Many Christian people, many Christian people will say, yeah, no, that's better parted with. We, don't, we just don't need to take that up. But if you look in the Bible, wine is described as a good thing. Almost universally. And yet, when idolized, better parted with than kept. Certainly. Money, when idolized, better parted with than kept. Lest the financial success we enjoy cause our spiritual ruin. Freedom. Freedom, when idolized, better parted with than kept. That one's a bit more challenging, I think. That was the case for Israel. Parted with freedom into exile. Not willingly, but it happened. They needed it. They needed to be rescued from it by God. They needed that more than they needed freedom. More than they needed their own nation. You know, the church never grows faster than in places where it's experiencing persecution. That is an ongoing trend from from the time it came to be. I think it would be pretty incredible to see what God would do if we really came to a time of persecution in the church here. I think we would see growth that we haven't seen in years. But man, that sounds hard, doesn't it? doesn't sound exciting, although it kind of gets me excited. So what about us? What about us? I have a few questions for us. I'm not looking for specific answers. There's no, there's no necessarily right answers to the questions. They're prompts to get us going in a direction as we talk through some of these things. So if you go off in a direction, that's fine. Question one is, 
In what ways are we still waiting for verses 1 to 7 of Micah 4 to be fulfilled? In what ways are we still waiting for that? The question, too, is the other side of it. How has the fulfillment of verses 1 to 7 already started? How has that already begun? Here's the last one. In what ways do you find it difficult to trust the Lord? And then there's the instructions to pray for one another. There. Pray for one another. So I'm going to step away. We're going to leave it there. We're going to put on a timer for 10 minutes. We're going to use a timer this time because I keep letting this go super long. Uh, put on a timer for 10 minutes. And then, then I'm going to come back up and let you know, okay, if you haven't started praying, start praying. We'll give another five minutes. And then we'll, then we'll move on to the, next, uh, to the next part of our service. All right? Okay. I think some people are already starting to head upstairs, but uh, we are going to step into communion here now. Um, I think everyone here has been around for a while and kind of knows the drill, but we're going to head upstairs. Uh, we're going to have some worship together. We're going to take communion. Uh, and, you know, that's something we do as believers, which is, again, a, a, an act of entrusting ourselves to Christ, of, of turning, turning our lives over to him, of, of setting him in that place of authority within us and over the whole of us. So... So we're going to hold communion until after the first song. Uh, we won't be distributing the elements until then. So we can just head upstairs, take our seats, worship, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll get those distributed after the first song. Uh, and then just hold them, uh, hold on to them, and we'll, we'll take them together uh, when prompted. All right? All right. Okay. Let's do that.